From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 171 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm okay, but I I think I see dead people. <laughs> well, I am in very good spirits today. Good. Oh, I, I see what you did there. Yes. Well, it's Halloween, and we have a boo to you and you and you and you, because our guest is a friend of the show, Disney historian and author Jim Corcus, to share some stories from one of his newest books, The Vault of Vault, Volume 9, Halloween Edition. Jim, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Good evening. <laughs> Welcome to this spooky podcast. <laughs> they, 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 this is just going to be so much uh, uh, great fun because, uh, you know, when I was growing up in uh, Glendale, California, uh, Halloween w- was uh, pretty much a big deal for me and my, my two younger brothers, you know, going out uh, uh, trick-or-treating and then, you know, uh, getting into costume and uh, we had an elementary school that would have a um, uh, a Halloween festival on on a weekend, and so you went, and there was that costume parade, you know, uh, uh, across the basketball court where we were all, all lined up, and we all thought we looked great, and we all should win, and the, the whole bit, and uh, they were showing um, uh, spooky cartoons in. Uh, in the auditorium, not just Disney cartoons, but, you know, uh, there were spooky cartoons with with uh, Mighty Mouse and Warner Brothers and, and, and all of that. And so, you know, I grew up and it was like, yes, there's always been a Halloween. And, and that was not the case. You know, the, the very first time that Trick or Treat was mentioned uh, in any publication or newspaper in the United States wasn't until 1939. And and so, you know, you have poor Walt uh, who grew up and there was no such thing as trick-or-treating, you know. And, and if there was Halloween, it, it was really um, more tricks than treats, you know. Uh, turning over an outhouse with somebody in it or <laughs> or dismantling a buggy and putting it on, on, on the roof of a, of a building. And uh, so Walt never really got to experience that, never mentioned that. And then, of course... His two daughters uh, were born in the 30s, and so there's no story or indication of, uh, uh, you know, Walt taking them uh, uh, trick-or-treating. And, and I, I got to know Diane Disney, and I, I talked with her, and she didn't have any memories of that. And, and, of course, when it came to Walt's grandkids, it was Ron and Diane that took their kids out trick-or-treating. Walt wasn't... Uh, 
uh, involved with that. But, but that doesn't mean that Walt wasn't fascinated by um, ghosts and, and witches and uh, things like that. In, in fact, uh, when I was interviewing Imagineer Ken Anderson, I was uh, interviewing him about his early work on the Haunted Mansion. And he said that, you know, he would often go with Walt uh, to New Orleans. Walt loved New Orleans, loved shopping for antiques in New Orleans. But uh, Ken told me that Walt loved reading about ghosts and witches. And when they went to New Orleans, he always had to go and find, you know, uh, stories about um, uh, voodoo queens who could, you know, talk to the other side and, and the supernatural and so when New Orleans Square was built at uh, Disneyland, uh, back towards the um, uh, railroad tracks, you know, there's a little uh, food and beverage shop that makes uh, beignets mm-hmm. and this non-alcoholic uh, mint julep. And as a kid, my gosh, that's what you had to get because that's the only place you could get that. Well, up above, the apartment up above, you would hear chanting and you would hear, you know, uh, uh, sounds and, and all of that. And that was supposed to be uh, the room of um, Marie Laveau, who is a very popular, very famous uh, New Orleans uh, voodoo queen. And in fact, a portrait of her uh, hung in the Pirates of the Caribbean and also in the Haunted Mansion when both of those uh, uh, opened up. And uh, Walt was a very strong believer that there is darkness and evil in the world, and we shouldn't um, hide that fact from from children. But we should also tell them that the light is much more powerful and that can overcome that. So um, he he also, uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke once said, uh, one of the secrets to uh, Walt's success was he knew that every uh, a little kid loved to have a little scare as long as it was safe. Mm-hmm. And so Walt would stick in, you know, the witches and, you know, Maleficent and, and all that. And all of them would be defeated. All of them would be defeated. In fact, I, I don't know if you uh, know this, but what is the one Disney animated film where the villain wins. This was made during Walt's lifetime. Where the villain wins. I've yes. never given he this wins much at, He wins at the end. You know, all, all the other films, the, the villain is either defeated or gets their comeuppance or, or whatever. There is only one Disney animated film at the end where the Disney, where the villain wins. And, and I know that the, it's always hard to ask those questions because immediately your mind goes blank. The only film where the villain wins, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. You're right. Absolutely. Yes. One of our favorites, too. <laughs> I, I, I know. It, it, it's, it's everybody's favorite. You know, they incorporated parts of that into uh, the uh, uh, the Disney theme parks. You know, but, but the fascinating thing about Legend of uh, Sleepy Hollow is, is Walt purposely picked... Uh, Bing Crosby as the narrator so that it it sort of softens, you know, because Bing Crosby was that uh, very sort of folksy uh, father figure on his, his TV specials and all of that, you know, and, and sort of lighthearted. And so he had Crosby narrate it, 
so that it had a, a softer tone because originally uh, the Headless Horseman song was recorded by Thurl Ravenscroft, you know, who we all know is uh, uh, Tony the Tiger and, and also all the different things he did for Disney, like one of the singing busts in Haunted Mansion, whatever. And Ravencroft's version is just hugely creepy. And, mm-hmm. and Disney finally released it on, on, on CD. But uh, uh, basically, Walt, you know, wanted to keep it a, a, a little light. But, and, and most people agree that the animated film Legend of Sleepy Hollow is probably the closest adaptation to Washington Irving's original story because everybody else who has filmed it has felt that they needed to add in extra things or, or stretch it open or, or, or whatever. And, um, uh, but even Disney made, you know, a couple of changes. So well, for he instance, changed the ending. Yes. Do it. And, and, and also, you know, you have that flaming jack-o'-lantern. Up until that film, the Headless Horseman only had a pumpkin, a regular pumpkin. If you read Washington Irving's story, it's a pumpkin, and it's a shattered pumpkin, you see. It was Disney that made it this flaming jack-o'-lantern, and and also Disney left that, um, being this great story man that he is, left it sort of open of maybe the Headless Horseman isn't Brom Bones, maybe it really is supernatural because you have that that one scene where uh, Ichabod actually looks down the neck of the headless horseman when they're both on the same horse and he sees nothing but total blackness, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I asked Frank Thomas about that cause he was one of the animators uh, on that scene. And he says, Jim, what you need to remember is that we are seeing what Ichabod thinks he's seeing. We're not, necessarily seeing what is actually there huh. we're seeing what ichabod thinks he is seeing and that's what makes it uh, uh scary for that to happen but but ichabod is a glutton he's, he's only interested in katrina van tassel because of her father's fortune that he hopes to in, inherit and and live katrina van tassel is, is playing with the emotions of brom bones and and ichabod just for her for her own vanity Bones is this huge bully who uh, thinking must be just extremely painful for him. So, you know, it, there's there's no real sympathetic character. No, I always thought he was, yeah, uh, um, Ichabod was not a hero. No. I, even as no. a little boy, I thought he was sort of an unlikable person. He was vain. He, 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 he and, really was. He, he, yeah. he, he was vain. He was, you know, um, uh, you know, manipulative. Uh, uh, you know, wasn't the, the a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, even as a teacher, he often let the the class go wild while he, you know, sat behind a big book at, you know, the front of that one room uh, schoolhouse, you know, and just looked through that. And and again, you know, uh, he he was an itinerant uh, teacher. Now, what that means is, and that was common in in those early days. Itinerant means you move from place to place. So if you got a teaching job, as part of the teaching job, you didn't get a place to stay. You were rotated around different families who put up with you for a week or two, you know, 
Um, so, so that is how you got uh, uh, fed and, and taken care of because uh, teacher's pay was, you know, that's the scariest thing about the story. It's a teacher. Oh, my gosh. He's got no money. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just, you know, a, a, a wonderfully, you know, made film. Very, very strong. And, and again, Disney also said it at Halloween where the original story by Washington Irving just takes place during the fall, but it was Walt that goes, we're going to make this Halloween, you know, th because this is going to make it even spookier. This is going to give us uh, more opportunities. And, you know, as, as a, a filmmaker, that was a major risk because if you make a Halloween cartoon, there's only that little short window of opportunity where you can re-release it each year, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to just a regular cartoon, you could re-release it anytime, even during the holidays. But if you make a film about Halloween or if you make a film about Christmas, it can only be released in that uh, theater distributors only wanted it during that little period of time. The other thing that made Walt so brave is Halloween is celebrated differently around the world than in America. And, and so it, it would be like making an animated cartoon about uh, Guy Fawkes Day or Bastille Day or whatever, you know, and, and figuring that people would be interested in seeing that, you know, even though they had no understanding other than maybe just a general idea of, of, of what that was all about. And so to uh, being an international company and committing to a very specific American holiday and, and nowadays around the world, starting in the eighties, um, eighties and, and, uh, early nineties is when the American version of Halloween took over, uh, the rest of the world, like, like Italy and, and the UK and, all of that, um, you know, and, and again, it's just gotten, uh, the USA is like this monster <laughs> that just overtakes everything because for instance, the UK had a small, um, uh, Halloween celebration, but people dressed up as ghosts and witches. But now thanks to the American influence, you can dress up as princesses and superheroes and, you know, uh, all, all sorts of uh, political figures, you know, which, mm -hmm. which the real ones are scary enough. You don't need to dress <laughs> like them. And, um, you know, uh, but, but again, in, in Walt's day, it, 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 that was a much smaller, uh, uh, situation. And, and also the fact that Halloween was pretty much considered just for children, you know, now, nowadays, you know, it, it, it's, it's for uh, everybody. Adults. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not just nice little uh, uh, kids coming to your door dressed as, as Garfield and all this, you're having people as, as uh, uh, sexy nurses and uh, drooling zombies and, and heaven only knows what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, but, th but, but, but again, it, it's just, you know, and, and again, Headless Horseman, so iconic that uh, he leads the um, 
Halloween parade at both mm-hmm. Disneyland and um, Walt Disney World uh, mm-hmm. each year. And again, we won't be having those celebrations uh, uh, this year. And uh, at Disney California Adventure, they have a, a statue of, of the horse with the headless horseman. And, and there's actually steam, smoke coming oh, yeah. out from the, the eyes turn color. Yeah, and the eyes are red so cool. And, and, and the whole bit. And out here in, in Florida at um, uh, the Tricircle D Ranch at the Fort Wilderness uh, Campground, uh, for many years, they had the haunted hayride where you would be on a hayride and they would take you through the swamps. And then the fi- the final encounter would be with the Headless Horseman. And then they transitioned into carriage rides and other things. Now that now they have a... Um, uh, an event where in the barn you get to see Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and 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 there's some Halloween events, and then as you go outside, the headless horseman comes comes riding by, you know, to oh, to scare cool. the bejeebers uh, 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 out of you there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, you know, it, just amazing the impact that uh disney has had on uh on halloween and uh uh, some of the images that we just uh, take for granted Mm -hmm. absolutely and craig and i have have frequently talked on our you know on the show about we have must see halloween films you Mm -hmm. know and of course we we have to quickly talk about the very first silly symphony that is now shown every Halloween and I always thought was the oddest concept and theme to launch this incredibly successful series. And that's the skeleton dance that was talk about a risk when you talk about how brave Walt was. Oh oh, oh my gosh. Well, well, it actually came about because of an argument because the person doing uh, the music for the Mickey Mouse cartoons was Carl Stalling, who later went on uh, to do the music for the Warner Brothers cartoons, but he was doing the music for the Mickey Mouse cartoons. And and Walt, of course, was very associated with Mickey and, you know, wanted things exactly a certain way, and he wanted a musical note, uh, you know, uh, or a musical sting for each thing that Mickey was doing, each movement Mickey was doing. In fact, uh, later, it, it became a term called Mickey Mousing in the music business, where, where you have to put in something for every movement as it goes through. And Walt also wanted uh, the ability that if there was music, that he could edit it. You know, he could, he could cut out something or he could extend something just so that it would relate to the movement on the screen. And Carl Stalling... Uh, who'd been a theater organist out in, in Kansas City, you know, was getting extremely frustrated because, you know, music should be music. And and so in order to placate him, because Walt didn't want to lose Carl Stalling because, you know, the Mickey Mouse cartoons were just starting, you know, they were successful, you know, and, and of course there are many different ingredients making it successful. Obviously the music helps because it's it's synchronized. And so uh, to placate Carl, he said, okay, we'll do an entirely different series and the music will be the most predominant, okay? And we will do the animation to match the music rather than the music matches the animation. 
And also, Walt was kind of uh, smart because he realized that Mickey was already becoming, just within the first year or two, so successful that people were expecting certain things from a Mickey Mouse cartoon. So, so he could no longer experiment. But if he had a different series, he could experiment, especially since he was already thinking of doing, you know, an animated feature, you know, in, instead of wasting money and having it blow up in your face, if we do these little shorts and we experiment with, okay, let's use the uh, uh, multiplane camera here. Let's use, uh, try to do a realistic character. Let's try to, you know, incorporate, the, the, let's do the, the three little pigs where you have three characters who pretty much look exactly the same but it's because of how they move and how they and what they're saying they have different personalities so that could lead to the dwarves you know mm-hmm. so uh, and also this would be another source of revenue because Walt was always struggling for cash now what um uh, he thought stalling was going to do was the sing-alongs you know you have a song and you follow the song and you follow the bouncing ball for the lyrics. And then, you know, the animation, you know, uh, follows along with that. And Stalling said, no, no, what, what I want to do is, you know, you have even inanimate objects like flowers and all come to life, you know, to the mute. And Walt's getting more and more fascinated. And what we don't realize uh, these days, that's why it's always important as a historian, and when you uh, research the history of Disney, it's important to take a look what's going on in the rest of the world, you know, because that's bringing in, you know, uh, uh, that influence. You know, uh, the fact that Charles Lindbergh, you know, uh, uh, flew across the Atlantic to Paris influenced the first Mickey Mouse cartoon, Plane Crazy, to have that little bit of Lindbergh, you know, in there because. You knew that as soon as you saw that, the audience would go crazy because that was on their mind. So one of the things that was very popular uh, in the theater um, uh, at that time was what were called dance macabre. Uh, uh, And so what it was is you had people on stage and they were in black outfits, but with the white skeleton painted on them. And you turn off the lights and you just, you know, turn on this other light, and so all you see are the skeleton bones dancing. And um, Carl Stalling, as a kid, had gotten this little uh, uh, giveaway, which which was this little skeleton with strings on it, and you attached it to the side of your arm, and as you moved it, this uh, hinged figure, you know, would dance. And so he came up with the idea of we're going to be, you know, uh, in, in the cemetery at night and the uh, skeletons are going to come out to play. And uh, all of the animation was done by um, uh, of Iwerks, who, had, who was doing the Mickey Mouse cartoons. Uh, Ub was the type of animator who liked to animate what was called straight ahead. What that means is you draw the first drawing, you draw the second drawing, you draw the third drawing, you draw the fourth drawing, you draw the fifth drawing. And, and since he could turn out hundreds of drawings a day, this is not, not a problem. It, eventually, Walt established that a, a good animator should just draw 
the key drawings, the key poses, mm-hmm. and then you have an assistant animator and in-betweeners fill in the gaps between those poses. Now, iWorks hated that because um, he couldn't control the timing. So he he did the, this entire thing, and, and he's the one who also came up with the fact that the skeletons really weren't going to be, skeletons alone are just terrifying, but they were coming out to socialize rather than terrorize, which again is a concept which then gets carried over to the the uh, Haunted Mansion uh, attraction, you know, decades later. And so uh, uh, Iwerks did all this animation, but, but he had... Uh, uh, two assistants who filled in, you know, the black in the eyes and the black between the teeth and the black between the, the ribs, because that was, that was just, you know, a tedium work uh, to do. And, you know, they, they, they put this together. And with the Silly Symphonies, the thing was no continuing character, no real storyline. You know, it starts and it ends. That's pretty much it. You know, uh, for the for the most part, and there's music, uh, you know, I- involved, and so uh, they put this together. Uh, they went out uh, to sneak preview it, and there was no response whatsoever. So, so Walt goes to um, a theater distributor, and and he looks at it, and this time the audience has has a a, a fairly good reaction. But the distributor goes, I, I can't recommend this. You know, it, it's just too grotesque. <laughs> and and so Walt, as always, is in this position of trying to explain something new to other. And how do you explain something new when there's nothing you can really compare it uh, uh, with? So um, Walt uh, uh, was able to... Um, make arrangements uh, for the guy who uh, ran the Carthay Circle Theater uh, to see it. And and they didn't really run cartoons. But the guy saw it, liked it, ran it for two weeks. The reviews were just terrific. Walt clipped out all those reviews, sent it it to um, uh, Pat Powers in New York, who is distributing the Mickey Mouse cartoons, and said, look at these and, you know, show them. And uh, Powers wrote back a telegram that says, they don't want this, more mice, in capital letters. (laughs) And so Walt was finally able to get in touch with uh, the New York uh, theater entrepreneur, um, uh, Roxy, who owned the Roxy Theater. And they showed it there for two weeks. Huge hit. And so uh, eventually, you know, and, and Walt had a great fondness for the Carthay Circle Theater, which is one of the reasons that he had them uh, premiere uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and also Fantasia there. It was because of their kindness in, in running Skeleton Dance and giving him that, uh, that lead, you know, uh, uh, in, in that. And uh, uh, when um, Iwerks uh, left the Disney studio in 1930 to... Uh, uh, set up his own animation studio. He actually remade the cartoon in full color. It's called Skeleton Frolic. So if you want to see what the cartoon would have looked like without Walt Disney, you know, uh, editing and manipulating the story, 
this is what Ub Iwerks would have, would have done, you know, and, and so you're, you're seeing them dance, you're seeing perspective, you're seeing all sorts of things, but it, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't match the skeleton dance, which just has, it just works. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just works, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then of course the, uh, the silly symphony, uh, uh, after that was Hell's Bells, where where the stalling and uh, uh, Iwerks uh, took you into hell with, with Satan there and the demons, you know, and a dragon cow that is being milked and uh, uh, the spiders falling out, you know, in, in, in front of you. And uh, uh, nobody seems to remember that one very well. Yeah, that's but, that's uh, like on the flip side of the of the Disney Treasure series. <laughs> that's but, but 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 Skeleton Dance just seems to work. There just seems to be this charm about um, these uh, skeletons dancing in syncopation, and and from an animation standpoint, you can take a look and you can see that there's a lot of what are called cycles. Cycles are when you are repeating an action, or you flip the action. So maybe the person is walking one way, and now you flip the drawings and redo the drawings, so now the person's walking, you know, the other way. Um, so, and, and that's that's to, to save what is called pencil mileage, so you're not killing yourself drawing all of these things. But even with those cycles in there, there's an awful lot of uh, variation, you know, and, and, uh, an awful lot of charm and, and, and the skeletons themselves just seem to be having a, a great deal of fun. You know, there, there doesn't seem to be that, Oh, they're going to come out from the screen and eat me or something, you know? Now you mentioned Fantasia and my favorite villain comes from Fantasia. That's, um, Chernabog. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, he didn't, get a lot of screen time but he's still my favorite and oh, oh my gosh what an impression he made right <laughs> no night on bald mountain is always shown you know when they used to have those uh you know disney um compilations compo- and, for the halloween tv right specials. which yes. i loved they always have night on bald mountain and then but we were talking which is pretty frightening I, and when i've seen fantasia i've had parents walk out with their children and demand their money back um, mm. from the theater owners but um we were talking is it the topless demons that are flying towards yeah you? i think that's part of it <laughs> with, with, with the technicolor with the technicolor uh, uh breasts that that, Just, is, that 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 was pretty frightening just the whole thing is frightening. But we were talking before the show. A lot of people, and this, and but you do write about this in your book, Vault of Vault Halloween Edition. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know this really doesn't take place on All Hallows Eve. No, no, but because it, it's shown on all of the Halloween specials, and because uh, Walt himself said the Chernabog is uh, uh, the devil himself, which he isn't. He, he he's a he, uh, he's a dark god, you know. Um, in, in fact, that's what the name uh, translates <laughs> as. It, it's a uh, it's a Ukrainian uh, uh, mythology of of this uh, uh, dark god that hides himself during the day as as this uh, craggly mountain, and and then on certain nights 
you know, will open up. And and as we, we talked about before we started taping the, the podcast, this actually uh, takes place on uh, Walt Purgis, uh, uh, uh night, which happens uh, uh, about April 30th. And, and again, it's to celebrate uh, the transition of moving from uh, the winter into the spring, just, just as Halloween was meant to, to uh, be the dividing line between summer and fall and into the winter, the dark the darkness that that is coming. And and so Walpurgis Night is, this is the last night for the darkness to take rain before you move into into the light. And um, and there are very similarities between uh, the two festivals, you know, with, with um, you know, uh, uh, demons and, and, and ghosts, you know, because you break that, that line between the living and, uh, and the dead, and it, for Walt Purgis Night, uh, oftentimes they would have huge bonfires. Sometimes they would they would dress, you know, uh, as monsters themselves. And the reason for that is, if you're dressed as a monster, the monster is going to leave you alone. You know, I guess that's the thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh wait a minute, that guy looks like a monster. I'm not going to worry about him. I'm going to go find some humans. <laughs> And uh, sometimes they would leave out treats and all that. So, so, so very similar uh, to that. Now, now the animation, which is so powerful, uh, was done by uh, Bill Teitler, w- one of the legendary uh, uh, Disney animators. He he did uh, Stromboli, the the Wicked Puppet Master, in, in uh, 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 Pinocchio. You know, so he he he's, uh, is a very powerful. Uh, a- animator, you know, uh, other animators, you know, at the end of the day would come and try and look in his, uh, uh, uh waste paper, uh, uh, <laughs> basket, you know, to see if there was any discarded drawings that, you know, that they could take and maybe learn from and, and all of that. Now with Chernobog, uh, <laughs> there's a very funny story and I didn't include it in the book. So this is an exclusive, ah. uh, for this podcast. Okay. Still go out and buy the book, but this story is not in the book. It's it because there's so much you you have to decide what do I put in, what do I leave out, and so um, Walt gave uh, a Titler, you know, the, the character of Chernobog to do because again, he, he, Titler is this big Ukrainian, big thick black mustache and all of this, and and so he could get that power, and so you know he's he's struggling you know, through this, the first scene that he's given, he's struggling. And so he comes into Walt's office and we're talking hundreds of pages. And so usually what you do is you flip through the pages, you know, to, to see, you know, uh, the line of action, you know, uh, if, if there's something that needs to be restaged, whatever. And, and so he gives these hundreds of pages uh, uh, to Walt and Walt takes them and without flipping them, without even looking at them, dumps them in his trash can and says, you can do better. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh, people thought, oh, my, Titler's going to kill the boss. What, he's going to rip his neck out. And so Titler storms out of the room. What is he going to do? Is he going to quit? Is he going to, you know? And Titler sits down at his desk and pulls down a piece of paper and starts to draw again because he's going to show that son of a gun you know, that no, there, and as Titler's doing it, 
he comes up with a better way to do the scene. And so that's because Walt was such a great psychologist. He knew that everybody thought the titler was so, you know, amazing and all of that, that after a while you get a little complacent, you know, whatever I'm doing, this must be the right thing. And so Walt had to uh, uh, spark him <laughs> to do his best work. Now, now for the demon, they actually brought in uh, Bella Lugosi, uh, who was wearing his Dracula cape, you know, that he had, he had worn in the uh, uh, 1931 movie. And they had uh, Lugosi, who, who was a, a great ham, <laughs> You know, do do these extravagant, you know, gestures, you know, and 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 things like this. And afterwards, uh, you know, uh, Wilford Jackson was filming this. Uh, afterwards, um, he took a look at this, and this was not what um, Titler needed as, as reference for this. And so he had Wilford Jackson, who who was another animator, uh, stripped down to the waist and get up on a stool. And he angled, you know, lights from down below, and he directed Jackson through these movements, and he was taking pictures, and he was taking, you know, uh, uh, some film, and he used that as, as reference. Although, for publicity purposes, for Fantasia, it's always said, oh, yes, Bella Lugosi, you know, modeled for the character of uh, uh, Chernobog uh, there for, for that uh, to happen. And Walt didn't realize it was going to be quite that scary, <laughs> but 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 uh, he 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 let he let it pass, and and a lot of that is not on the uh, uh, original storyboards. A lot of that is just Titler putting in the, this animal mentality. I guess I I would describe it as because you. What makes this character so frightening is you take a look at it, and there's an otherworldliness. It, it's not mm -hmm. like it's human. You know, the the reactions, some slight movements. You know, not human at all. You know, but but again, it follows with Walt's philosophy that you know you have a church choir and you have the dawn coming. Bing. This goes back into being, you know, uh, a mountain. It's called Night on Bald Mountain because uh, the translation meant that the top of the mountain was so um, forbidden and uh, that, that there was literally no landscaping up there, no trees, no bushes. And so one of the other translations is Night on Bear Mountain. And so that's why it was easy. Um, uh, for them to assume that, uh, yes, this is something other than the mountain, because look, the rest of the mountain has trees and it has animals and all that. There's nothing up there. And it was actually based on a real mountain um, that was in uh, Yugoslavia, uh, which uh, had uh, sort of like almost three points pointing up towards uh, the sky. But But the whole point is, is that there's times of year where the um the veil between um uh you know the world and the world of the dead you know it mm -hmm. it, it, it loosens rips. up 
<laughs> so, 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 yeah, you, you, you better be careful or your nightmares may come true. Yeah. And, and just the lighting, the special effect animation mm-hmm. in there, it's just all so brilliant. That just makes it frightening. And then the ending, the Ave Maria, yeah. to have that impact of your right of the goodness and light of the pilgrims. And, 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 it, and it's moving along so quickly. And, and, and you hear that pounding, you know, uh, of the music. And as you're watching it, you can't, you're not thinking ahead of, oh, yes, well, Ave Maria is coming in and that will, you know, that'll take care of things. Mm-hmm. You're taking a look at this and it's going, who could ever stop, you know, this, you know, he, he all, all of these little, you know, demons clinging to his fingers and he's just tossing them into the, uh, uh, fire into the flames with no compunction. You know, one of the villains that always scared me was uh, Maleficent changing into the dragon because, um, you know, uh, she, she shouts, you know, you have to deal with me and all the powers of hell. And, and as a little kid, that was frightening to me that all the powers of hell were there. You know, and so so even though Prince Philip, you know, kills her with the the sword of truth, you know, it's it's pretty frightening there. This huge, you know, uh, uh, dragon, and and in fact, um, uh, Mark Davis uh, told me that uh, uh, for her headdress, the horns were actually uh, from medieval times to suggest um, the devil. Hmm. And uh, uh, Jimmy McDonald, who is the sound effects man, also the voice of, of Mickey Mouse, but the sound effects man, um, uh, got some army training films of using flamethrowers. And so that's the sound of the, the fire you hear coming out. And then he used castanets for her, her snapping teeth. And, wow. you know, and, and, and so there are monsters in... Uh, those early Disney films that I feel uncomfortable watching. I feel uncomfortable watching the Banshee in uh, Darby O'Gill and the little people, you know, and, and even though I know, okay, this is how it was done. You know, this was filmed, you know, uh, with this black background and then, you know, through uh, chroma key, they did this and they, you know, they had, you know, and it's like, Oh no. And uh, the voice of the Banshee is so frightening that it actually appears in the uh, Haunted Mansion uh, mm-hmm. attraction. And those of you who buy the book, that story is <laughs> in the book. So, right. you know, uh, because those of you who are listening, you, you are considered um, uh, the Disney expert for your friends and family. And and <laughs> I will bet you that if you share any of this information, not one of them will say, oh, did you hear that on that podcast? Did you hear Jim Corcus? Ha-? They'll just go, you just know everything. You're just so smart. <laughs> and and that's one of the reasons we do this is, is to share that information so that it will be shared with others and, and, and go out, you know, because uh, uh, too much of this Disney information is, is never written down and it becomes just tremendously difficult to verify, you know, um, that's that's one of the hardest parts of writing the book is not just the initial research, but um, uh, to verify it. You know, is this true or is this something that, oh, everybody, everybody knows this. Well, 
maybe not, you know? It, it, it's, it's like that whole concept at uh, uh, the Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion of, see, there's the bride's ring, you know, embedded oh, in yeah. this. And it's like, no, there was a pole here, <laughs> and they cut it off, yeah. you know, at the ground level, so you've got that, the, that little circle still there. Yeah. But, but, it's, but it's such a great story. Well, well uh, or like the story of um, uh, Master Gracie, you know? Oh, yes, Master Gracie, he's the, he's the owner of, of the... No, he's not. Um, everybody thinks that because there's the uh, uh, tombstones out in front of the Haunted Mansion, and one of them is Master Gracie. And, and again, the tombstones were written by an Imagineer by the name of Exitensio. And they were written there as, as tributes uh, to some of the Imagineers who worked on the attraction. You know, it, 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 the, the Imagineers love to do, you know, little, little uh, gags like that. And so everybody just assumed, oh, no, Master Gracie, that's, you know, he's the master of the magic. No, it's not. Exitensio told me when I interviewed him, he, he said he used Master Gracie because during the time period that the Haunted Mansion is set in, um, Master was the term that you used as a diminutive uh, for a young boy who wasn't old enough to be called Mr. So you had like Master Lord Fauntleroy, whatever. So so obviously they're, they're a person of prestige, so they need to be addressed you know, uh, uh, with uh, with a certain uh, uh, respect, but they're too young to be called Mister. That would just be silly. So you use Master, and he used Master Gracie because Yale Gracie was just a boy at heart. You know, he um, in fact he's the one who came up with most of the illusions uh, in the tra- the attraction, like that grand ballroom with the. Uh, uh, the, the dancing ghosts and the dueling ghosts, you know, ha- having the, the party there. And, and everybody thinks, oh, yes, those, those must be holograms or the, those must be this or that. Or, or, or as uh, Tony Baxter likes to joke, you know, we just used real ghosts. No, it, it's a very simple turn-of-the-century magician's illusion called Pepper's Ghost. And I, I talk about that in, in the book. And Yale Gracie, as a young boy, had a series of books called uh, The Boy Mechanic. This was published by uh, uh, Popular Science. Popular Science for Popular Mechanics. I'll, I'll, I'll have to go look at my, uh, my uh, own book to, to double-check that. But, but basically, it was things that young boys could do, you know, like build a firework, you know, or uh, uh, make a boat or, or something like that. And so... That was in there, and he remembered that, and he did that uh, for the uh, ballroom seat. And as proof of concept, he actually made a little uh, a box uh, that had a scene where ghosts were floating uh, uh, through it so that Walt could see that, oh, my gosh, yeah, this works. And that box exists today. It's, it's in the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. They have it there, and it still works. And for the TV show, um, uh, Yale built another one where there's the uh, uh, skeleton playing playing the organ there, and um, he, he was uh, Yale was working with um, uh, Rolly Crump, and Rolly Crump told me this this story. He said, "Yeah, we we were working on these things, and we had all these you know illusions and and 
uh, all of this. And, you know, one day uh, I just turned to him and I, I said, well, do you believe in ghosts? And Yale said, I actually saw one. And Rolly says, well, you got to tell me this story. And so when he was 10 years old, uh, Yale and his mother uh, went back east uh, to visit uh, his cousins. And uh, he had to stay in the, the same room as, as his cousins. And as the week, you know, came to an end, you know, uh, one day over breakfast, uh, his mother asked, obviously Yale was enjoying himself, said, what is the thing that you've enjoyed most, you know, uh, about the trip? Figuring that he would say, oh, you know, meeting my cousins or, or going to this place or eating this thing or whatever. And, and Yale says, uh, remember, he's 10 years old. He says, uh, it's the little old lady who comes out of the closet each night to read us stories. And the other kids are going crazy. They're waving at him. You know, they're running their finger across their necks like, you know, stop it. Don't say anything, whatever, whatever. And um, so the mother's curiosity is piqued. So she goes to the local library, you know, to do some research. And uh, she finds this one picture of uh, an older woman who used to own that house and and she showed it to Yale and Yale said yes that that's the woman and uh but the kids were right sure enough as soon as Yale said that she never came back to read stories to them ever again hmm. and and Rolly says Jim I'm telling you Yale was the straightest guy I ever met you know, uh, in, in the world, it wasn't like a Ward Kimball who likes to play pranks or tell stories or exaggerate. He told me that, and he, he, he told me that straight without blinking or hesitation. He says, I believe it's got to be true. Well, now that we're in the theme parks and speaking of ghosts, can you know, for a lot of people, you know, going to the theme parks is part of their holiday tradition. They like to go to the Halloween parties. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, at least the folks that go to Walt Disney World, at least they get a little Halloween. Disneylanders were out of luck this year due to the yeah. pandemic. But, um, you know, for at, over at Walt Disney World, you know, October 31st, 1939, that's an important date in an attraction. <laughs> that, that's, that's when lightning struck the side of the Tower of Terror. People don't re realize that, yes, that's a, that's a Halloween attraction on that day. That's, and, and that's one of the reasons why the lightning strike sent those guests in the elevator into um, a, a different uh, uh, time and place and dimension. You know, because it happened on Halloween, uh, we, which is, you know, uh, uh, pretty amazing there. And uh, but, you know, uh, again, we, we talk about people just even Disney cast members, you know, creating their own storyline. You know, some of the cast members, at least of the Walt Disney uh, World version of uh, Haunted uh, Mansion, uh, try to portray themselves as if they're dead. You know, they even do their their makeup. You know, with the, with the black underneath the eyes and and all of that, and you know, sort of hesitate and spooky. I talked to uh, a couple of Imagineers, and they said that's not the story at all. The story is is that the entire hotel is trapped. You know, 
in that 1939 time period. You know, it's in that different dimension of space, so it's trapped there. And so the spooky thing is the cast members there are supposed to act as if they are working in 1939 at this hotel and you are VIP guests who are coming to visit. And I said, well, why don't you tell them that? And, and uh, the, guy, the guy was quite honest. He says, well, they have to pay for us to come in and tell them the story. <laughs> <laughs> but but he was so frustrated by that. I said, "Can't you just go in?" And he says, "No, no, no." At, at Imagineering, you know, you've got to be paid, you know, for the time. And in in those days, you paid uh, like two hundred, two hundred and fifty dollars an hour, or for every hour or portion thereof, and you had to pay for the research, you had to pay for the transportation. You had to pay, for, or the transportation time, I guess, because that was taking time away from doing, I guess, something more important. And then the presentation, and then the transportation back. And most uh, Disney departments just did not have the money for that. And and so it, it it's sort of a shame there, but, you know, um, that's the way it is at Disney. There's the Disney brand, which are, you know, the characters, how you feel as you go into the the park and all that. And then there's the Disney business, you know, so you can love the Disney brand, but still have some concerns about how the Disney uh, uh, business uh, operates there. But every now and then a little information slips out. Like I just gave you right now. Just slips right. Out right. And you have actually, you have the whole story for folks who buy your book. Um, mm -hmm. There's the whole story of what happened on October 31st, 1939. Yes. And, and and also there's another entire chapter just about the Walt Disney World version of Haunted mm -hmm. Mansion because that is different than the other Haunted Mansions that that are at the different uh, Disney uh, uh, theme parks. And I also go through the fact that uh, Tower of Terror was not the first choice uh, for that location. You know, Michael Eisner talked with Mel Brooks and wanted Mel Brooks to put an attraction there uh, because he wanted to get in business with Mel Brooks because Mel Brooks films are very, you know, uh, popular. Just like that's the reason we got Avatar out at Animal Kingdom is Disney didn't care about Avatar. Most people didn't care about having an Avatar, uh, you know, uh, uh, land. You know, the film came and gone and, and, and the sequels aren't going to be out for another five years, maybe. You know, but Disney went with that, especially in a small area, so that they could get in business and create a relationship with James Cameron. So uh, for the um, Tower of Terror area, uh, they were going uh, to do a, uh, a uh, horror hotel where, um, you know, uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, well, first off, they were going to do a young Frankenstein castle <laughs> and there would be a drawbridge and, you know, uh, the uh, entranceway would be the village and the whole bit, you know. And uh, but then it, it evolved into this horror hotel, which the Imagineers uh, uh, jokingly uh, always referred to as Hotel Mel. And so you would go to the location and there would be those uh, golf cart pargos that you would get on. But they would be controlled by um, 
uh, an electronic wire underneath, you know, so you you can't control where the thing is is going. You can't even control the speed, you know. So you're in this because you're going into the set of uh, Mel Brooks's new comedy horror film. And in fact, Mel may even be picking uh, some of the guests who are going in to be extras in the film. And a lot of this is explained in the pre-show on, on, on TV screens and all this. So you're in this and, and, and you're going through and you, and you go through the, the, the kitchen and there's witches, uh, you know, uh, stirring over a cauldron and, and Quasimodo is the bellboy for the hotel. And, um, uh, you go into, in, into the bathroom and, and Dracula is trying to shave in the mirror, but, but he can't see his reflection. And, and the Wolfman is having difficulty, you know, trying to comb all of his hair. And, and you see Frankenstein in one of the stalls reaching underneath to grab, uh, the mummy's wrappings to use his toilet paper. And, you know, there's all of these, these great gags, but they couldn't come up with a coherent storyline. And also, all of those audio animatronics would cost a fortune, not only to build, but to maintain. And so, you know, that just fell by the wayside. So Eisner, uh, the man of a, a million ideas, came up with an even better idea. It would be an actual hotel. And what would happen is uh, if you were coming, like, from the airport, uh, there would be a hearse that would pick you up at the airport. Uh, and, and this is before the Disney magic buses and all this here. Um, hearse, and the windows would be blacked out so you couldn't see, and then you were taken to the hotel in, in Disney uh, Hollywood uh, Studios. And in the hotel, basically what had happened is there had been a murder. And so, uh, and spooky things are happening and sounds and all this. And, and so the cast members who are working, you know, at the hotel are all in costume. They're all adding into the, this story. And you're in this film noir type uh, 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 spooky uh, uh, setting. But, it, but again, you know, it was like, well, that's going to cost a fortune for all those cast members and then costumes for them and then training to, them to act as if it's the time period and all that. But again, I guess Disney has solved that because they're going to open up that uh, uh, Galaxy Hotel, the uh, Star Wars Hotel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that whole thing is you go into the hotel rooms and the windows are the HD screens. So you're looking out and you're actually seeing space. And supposedly you inter you'll interact with... Uh, uh, the cast members as if they're on, on this, uh, uh, uh spaceship and, uh, they're little droids, uh, that will bring room service, you know, to your room and whatever. And, and my basic philosophy is I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of but, people but, are wondering but, about that right but, now. But, but, but the original idea was, yes, we were going to have a horror hotel at, um, uh, you know, uh, Walt Disney World there at, at Disney's uh, Hollywood uh, uh, Studios. And again, they they picked um, uh, Tower of Terror so they could theme it into Twilight Zone. Because at that particular time, all of the attractions and shows were actually themed to some type of, of movie or, or, or TV show. Because that was, you know, a part of the... Uh, 
a theme and philosophy of the park, which has now changed. But uh, it was at the time, so you do that. But then the challenge becomes you're now moving this uh, uh, to Tokyo and or uh, Disney Paris or whatever, and and these people have no background on Rod Serling or the Twilight Zone. It, it's not like, oh my gosh, yes, you know, uh, they're going to be running the marathon on on the Sci-Fi Network again. I you know I can't wait to to see these same episodes that I've seen, you know, millions of times before. Although I will admit every time they run a marathon, there are episodes that I don't remember seeing, even though I know for a fact, I've seen every twilight zone episode at least once, you know, um, uh, yeah. before that, you know, and, and at the, uh, uh, Walt Disney world, uh, the tower of terror, what should really scare you, is you don't go in the entrance. The entrance is further down. It has the portic share over there and whatever. That's the exit now. What you're uh, is you're taken in through a little side pathway in into the house, you, you, into the uh, hotel. You're not going into the entrance. So that should already, you know, uh, alert you that there's something not right here, yeah. you know, and there's all sorts of those, those little, uh, clues in there. But, but again, you know, what a, what a wonderful, uh, attraction there, you know, one of the iconic attractions like Haunted Mansion and, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and, and all of that. But, well, I guess people could go and on Halloween and experience that now, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's well, it's just not the same, you know. It's, it's not. And 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 Halloween has become big business uh, for Disney. You know, you met you mentioned uh, the the events. You know, Walt Disney World has uh, Mickey's uh, Not So Scary Halloween that started in uh, uh, 1995, and and it started because of the success of the uh, uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, you know, party and being a separate ticketed event, and the success of Universal Orlando uh, during uh, the uh, Haunted Horror Nights. And so uh, Mickey's Not So Scary was going to be that alternative for families, you know, that you don't want to go to Universal because, yes, you've got those mazes and you've got crazed people jumping out at you and all of this, but, boy, this is another way for Disney to make money. And then Disney you know, leverages it even more, you know, there's merchandise that's only available at Halloween. There, there's special food and beverage that's only available at, mm-hmm. at, at uh, Halloween. So, you know, um, it, it's hard for me to believe that Disney will ever grow, uh, grow broke, you know, will ever go uh, broke, you know, even, even with the pandemic that they'll find some way to, to monetize uh, uh, things for that to happen, and 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 before we leave, we you, we need to remind uh, uh, people that if you go to Disneyland, especially, um, but also at Walt Disney World, you know, even though it seems like a ghost town now, hmm. once things get up and running, you might actually encounter some real uh, uh, ghosts, and especially at Disneyland you might run into Walt himself. There's, uh, I didn't include all of those in the book, but uh, uh, again, I, I talked with cast members, I talked with guests, and 
by golly, it, it wasn't like, oh, well, yes, this could have been a trick of the light, you know, or a mistaken identity, uh, uh, whatever, you know. Um, uh, Walt walks the parks. And, and actually, where he loves to spend most of his time seems to be Club 33. And people have even heard him talk. And, and most people know that, that it's Walt because they, there's that smell of his... Uh, uh, French cigarettes that he smoked uh, later in life. Early in life, he, he smoked Chesterfields, but later in life, he tried these uh, uh, thin uh, um, uh, French cigarettes, figuring that they would cause less damage. They didn't. They caused just as much, if not more. And sometimes a little puff of smoke in the air. And and Walt is often in his uh, you know suit and tie, or sometimes in um, uh, his uh, his sweater, you know, with with a little. Uh, uh, a tear and um you know uh a server told me he came by this table and and he was uh, and there was nobody in club 33 and and he's trying to you know straighten the uh, tablecloth and, and he hears this voice going i'm not finished yet <laughs> <laughs> and 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 other people have have uh, seen him sitting there with Lillian you know and 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 this is in addition uh, to all those other ghosts that supposedly haunt the park at at uh, at, at Disneyland, you have you have that uh, uh, woman who got uh, killed on the on the monorail. That that young boy who who drowned in in the the rivers of uh, America. The 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 young boy who got uh, killed on on the monorail beam and, and all. And to this day, people still claim on certain nights you can hear them. You know, and, and sometimes you can even see them. And out at Walt Disney World, we, you know, we've got our own. You know, o- over in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, there's uh, uh, George, who is a construction worker who apparently uh, 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 died while construction was going on on the attraction. And uh, I'm serious about this. Uh, cast members every morning have to say, uh, hello, George. And at the end of the shift, say, good night, George or else all sorts of things start to happen in the attraction, you know, where it'll stall out or lights will go out or things like that when they don't do that. And uh, even in, in the uh, Haunted Mansion, there's the, uh, and, and you can see some of these things on, online, thank heavens for YouTube and all this, <laughs> uh, of, of uh, a little boy in a doom buggy and he, he his head pops out and he's looking at you and, um, at the end of the ride, there's no, there's no little boy, you know? So, um, Ooh, that's a, that's ah. a good way to end talking about the stories and, um, and Vault of Vault Halloween edition, even though, you know, Halloween is, you know, we're into the Halloween weekend. This isn't a book that you should, feel oh well you know i'm not going to get it because halloween's over because it's chock full of all these behind the scenes stories of your favorite films and tv shows and theme park attractions and i mean this is a good read year round as far as i'm concerned because well and and again the 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 vault of walt before this number uh, uh uh, seven was uh, the Christmas edition, mm-hmm. and and that sells all year round because everybody needs a little bit of uh, um, Christmas, you know. 
uh, in their life. But but yes, I, I, I thank you for for mentioning that. That an awful lot of research, uh, you know, went into this book. It took over two years of my life to uh, to to get it done and to get it right. And you know, put all those things in there that you might not even think about for Halloween, like the Ben Cooper Halloween mask. And oh the gosh, with, did that bring back with, memories for me? And and its connection <laughs> specifically with Walt and yeah. some of the TV specials. And uh, one of the things that we didn't get to tonight, which is the Tim Burton Halloween special that was only run once on Halloween, and Disney has never re-released it. You never should call that connected the, it to a Tim Burton DVD or whatever. You should call that the infamous Tim Burton Disney. <laughs> I have read about that, and I just think, wow. And you, yeah, and, and you I tried really, to give you as write much out information as I thing. had. So Yeah, you write out what it, basically the, what the whole show is about. And yes, how it and, was and, made. And, and why certain things, you know, uh, were there. But but again, if Halloween is not your your cup of tea, and I'm I'm really a scaredy cat, and and <laughs> writing uh, uh, the book w- was kind of scary too. I have two other books out. One is called uh, The Hidden Treasures of the Disney Cruise Line, and it's not a guidebook. It's not going to help you get uh, a discount or uh, help you pick a better room or when to cruise or, or whatever. Basically it's the story of the evolution of the Disney cruise line. So in fact, there's an entire chapter about what Michael Eisner was going to do before the cruise line, which was literally take an oil tanker and convert it into a Disney theme park. So it could then sail to parts of the world that didn't have, you know, uh, the money to come to a Disney theme park, you know, but, you know, for three months in port, they could come and, and 16 attractions, you know, in there. So so part of the book is about the development and history of the Disney Cruise Line. And the other part of the book is the storytelling elements uh, that are on the ship. So uh, things to look for and, and all of that. And uh, whoever knows when Cruise Line will ever come back. But this is a Nice way to experience that. And then also, uh, Secret Stories of Extinct Walt Disney World, which is uh, filled with uh, over 100 chapters, uh, 100 two-page chapters of um, uh, things that are no longer exist at Walt Disney World. And, and the reason I wrote that book is to be a companion to a book I wrote last year called Secret Stories of Extinct Disneyland, which mm-hmm. which people really seem to like except i always get that uh uh comment but you didn't talk about such and such a lot of things have disappeared over 50 years oh yeah you know and and so i I, so i tried to write about you know the ones that were probably uh the most favorite and also some of the really oddball ones that people you know may never have heard of you know or go oh wait a minute i remember that was there and so uh, these are av- available at Amazon.com. They're available in, in print. And I love having a print copy. I, l- I love the, the feel of having a book in my hands. But they're also available on Kindle. Mm-hmm. And so they make a great gift for you, a great gift for your friends, especially around the uh, uh, holiday season. And uh, for those of you who are going through Disney withdrawal, 
this might be a good way to uh, re-pixie dust yourself. So Absolutely. thank you for letting me promote my books. Absolutely. And, and um, Craig, will be sure to have links to these books in our show notes. Thank and, you, Jim, Craig. And Jim, can you give us a sneak peek, peek of maybe other projects you're working on right now? Uh, trying to survive and pay bills. <laughs> okay. I, 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 okay. Just for you, because I don't like to do this because as soon as you tell people you're working on something immediately, you get, have you finished that yet? When, when is that coming out? What are you know? And it's like, it always takes longer than you think it's going to take. And, and in the case of these books, two of these were supposed to come out, you know, months ago, but you know, we're held back because of the pandemic. But just for you, because I like you and Craig, and I like this podcast, and uh, uh, I like stirring up your listeners, (laughs) the next book I'm writing is called Kungaloosh. Ah, is this the History of the Adventurers Club? That's part of the book. The, The other part of the book is all of the jungles of Walt Disney World. So the oh, history of the Walt Disney World Jungle Cruise, uh, Trader, I interviewed the guy, the Imagineer who designed Trader Sam's bars. So I've got a long uh, interview with that. I've got an interview with um, uh, Joe Rohde about Expedition Everest and especially the Yeti and um, lots of other things. But half of the book will be the official guide uh, to the Adventurers Club. So I, 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 when it, the adventure, before the Adventurers Club was closing, I got a chance to interview the people who did special effects in there, uh, the people who wrote the, the scripts. I got to interview the actors, uh, you know. And so even though it, it doesn't exist anymore, uh, you'll, you'll have descriptions of every show that w- was done in there. Uh, so you can feel like a part of it. Uh, backgrounds of all of the characters, what changes were made and why, uh, the Yakus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, which, which, <laughs> which was actually a reformatted, uh, Melvin the Moose figure from, um, Country Bear Jamboree. Um, so lots of secrets and lots of things. And, and so I'm, I'm working on it, but please don't say, well, Jim, where's the book? These things take a lot of time. And, uh, but, but yes, the, the jungles of, uh, of Walt Disney World, there's a chapter devoted to Pandora about all the different flora in there. And I also got to talk with the botanist in um, Los Angeles, uh, who uh, Cameron and, and all brought in to create this, uh, you know, these plants and what they are and how they move and work and all that, and all of that will be in the book. But I'm excited because, again, my uh, publisher convinced me that I wouldn't be able to sell an entire book on the Adventurers Club because uh, for some people that's a memory. For some people, it's just, you know, a, a word that they heard. Those who experienced it, it's like they're in love with it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but half of a book on, on, on the Adventurers Club and the other half on the jungles of Walt Disney World, 
that's a book. <laughs> well, we'll be looking forward to that. But until then, everyone and, will be and, able to and, and read the your other three. And the earliest will be is late spring or early summer. But yes. Okay. And, and maybe you'll have me back on then. Absolutely. I think people will be very excited to hear about that, all of that. Ventures mm-hmm. Club and all the different jungles. Well, Jim, thank you for joining us for this very special uh, Halloween uh, episode. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Uh, you, you and Craig and, and and your listeners are 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 such avid Disney fans that it, it's just a a delight for me to to share this information with all of you because I know you 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 love it and and you'll share it and. So thank you very much. And a happy Halloween to everybody. A happy Disney Halloween to everybody. (laughs) Thank you. And may all your treats be happy ones. (laughs) Now, will this week in Disney history be a trick or a treat for Craig? We're about to find out. Well, here we are in November. So... November 1st, Disney's 44th animated feature opened in theaters nationwide on November 1st, 2003. What is the name of the film? Okay, 2003. So we're right around in the Lilo and Stitch and Chicken Little. and Well, Lilo and Stitch would have been 2001. I don't know how you remember this. Well, I, I remember, I remember Lilo and Stitch is 2001 because they had to edit the ending of it because yes. of the, the plane. So oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Brother Bear. You're absolutely correct. Very good. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. And the film set in a post-Ice Age North America tells the story of a boy named Kenai who has killed a bear in revenge for a battle that he provoked in which his oldest brother was killed. The spirits, angered by his, this needless death, changed the boy into a bear himself as punishment. Along his adventures as a bear, he meets up with a pair of comical Canadian moose named Rut and Took. And this film is in the third and final Disney animated feature produced primarily by the feature animation studio at the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida, as the studio will shut down in March 2004. Were you a fan of this film, Craig? I, you know, I enjoy, obviously... Rick Thomas, uh, wow, I'm screwing up here. Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas in it, mm-hmm. but the movie isn't amazing. But uh, them, them having the uh, McKenzie brothers uh, banter back and forth uh, that that makes it <laughs> a, a lot more entertaining. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. I I thought I didn't. I thought the ending was a little unbelievable. Mm-hmm. In you know the choice that was made. But otherwise, I liked it. So. I I have a feeling, you know, it's it, we're what? Not gosh, seventeen years since it. I, I think in another, you know, five ten years, I think I'll I'll feel a lot more fondly about Brother Bear, and I feel like a lot of people will. I, I can't say the same about Home on the Range, but uh, <laughs> definitely for Brother Bear. 
Oh, you think Brother Bear's on the list to to remake and to um, you know, live animation? <laughs> Realistic I, animation. You know what? I I I believe everything. It's on the table. <laughs> I think it is. I think I, I heard a list recently, and it is like everything is on the table. What they're going to do? <clears throat> That's, I'm excited for the Chicken Little one. Oh yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> okay, November second. This voiceover actor, known for his Haunted Mansion narration, passed away on November 2nd, 1986. He also voiced several pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean attraction and Disney's Professor Ludwig von Drake in 18 episodes of the Walt Disney Anthology television series. What is this actor's name? That would be Paul Fries. Correct. Right. Paul Fries was born in 1920. He began his acting career in 1942 and remained active for over 40 years. And during that time, Fries was involved in more than 250 films, cartoons, and TV appearances. Like many voice actors, his appearances were often uncredited. In television commercials, Fries voiced the Pillsbury Doughboy, Hard to imagine a Pillsbury Doughboy and the ghost host are the same people. You can kind of hear it. Just slightly. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. At least and I can. The, uh, oh, yeah. You hear the little giggle in the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the elf who calls out to the Jolly Green Elf. <laughs> jolly Green Giant in those Green Giant frozen vegetable commercials. And Paul Fries was named a Disney legend in 2006. Okay, November 3rd, Disney's newest theatrical stage production began preview performances at the Lunt Fontaine Theater in New York City on November 3rd, 2007. The official Broadway opening night is scheduled for December 6th. What is the name of this production? Hmm. I, oh, so... I think it has to be either Tarzan or Little Mermaid. And I feel like Little Mermaid maybe came... um, This is tough because I feel like Little Mermaid was a couple years after that, but I feel like Tarzan might have been a couple years before that. But since I'm, I'm only gripping onto those two i'll just 50 50 i'll go with tarzan oh yeah now you're right it's 50 50 but it was the little mermaid Uh, okay (laughs) carol and i saw you know when they they you know after it didn't do quite as well in its first broadway run and it went touring and they retooled it and Carol and I saw it here at Music Circus, which is theater in the round that runs in the summer. They didn't run this year, but they did the retooled version. It was like their launch mm-hmm. for it. It was really well done. The only problem is that they used, I think, the one of the first flounders from the Broadway run. And the problem was, I think I said this when I first saw it. The problem was, is that he was a young teenager by then so his voice had changed so having you know how flounder gets upset and pouts when ariel's not paying attention to him anymore Mm -hmm. it takes on a whole different aspect when it's a teenage flounder yeah it 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 
you know, it just gives a whole different layer to it that I think was unattended. The actor, the young man who's acting was fantastic. And, um, he, you know, a lot of times Flounder was on rollerblades to, to, um, you know, look like he was, you know, swimming and all that. And he did an excellent job and all that. But, um, yeah, Flounder should be a little boy. Yeah. I didn't have a chance to see it when I believe when it came to Florida, if I can remember correctly, it might have been when I, I didn't have enough money to afford shows, but I, I, I feel like when, the only time Little Mermaid came to Orlando, it was uh, a one-week run, and anything that's a one-week run in Florida is just, you know, it's impossible to get unless yeah. you want to pay four times face value on on a ticket site and then hope your ticket actually goes through. And so add add in if it's a Disney, if it's a Disney production, then it has a little extra weight to it, except. When it runs too long, like Aladdin, they had running here last year. Aladdin ran for like three weeks, and that's all. They were basically <laughs> giving away tickets by the oh, end really? of it. It it was just way too long, way 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 too long oh. for it. But and you know, I also I did not. It, I'm I'm still mixed on that show. I thought it was fun. And I was able to get tickets on like a BOGO deal. So I was like, for that price that I paid, it was worth it. But uh, not my favorite, favorite of the Disney productions. But then you have something like Lion King, which, you know, that'll come for that's three amazing. weeks. And yeah, that, and that's, a, that is sold out every single night as quick as it possibly can go. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I, I'm sure that California is similar is, is like Orlando in that, and that, you know, there's a little extra magical flair when it comes to Disney production, since you do have a closeness to the park. I know, I know you're five, six hours away from Disneyland, but that's not a too longer. Far. But yeah. It's longer. Than but, that. um, if it plays in, if it's a first run Broadway in, in San Francisco, yeah, they, they pull out all the stops. You know, when it's on its third or fourth run, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's not quite as good. Yeah, you know, everything everything's loaded into one truck. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Alrighty. Um, November fourth. Red Cross volunteer Walt Disney returned to Camp Scott on November fourth, nineteen eighteen, after recuperating at home from what affliction? Hmm. Uh, influenza? That's absolutely correct. An influenza epidemic, now known as Spanish flu, will soon spread throughout the world. Camp Scott is a Red Cross training facili- facility located near the University of Chicago. Upon arrival, though, Walt is sent by train to Camp King in Connecticut to await transport to France. He will be part of Company A of the automotive and mechanical section. The World War will end before Walt reaches France, but he still is put into service with the Red Cross. That was my only hesitation. I knew it was a flu, but, you know, we've heard so much, obviously, this past year of Spanish flu. I was Mm -hmm. like, was it the Spanish flu, or was it just basic flu? And... 
Yeah, no, this was influenza. It's different from the people get influenza and flu, you know, mixed up. up. Yeah. Yeah. But, (laughs) and they say that actually his going home and letting his mother nurse him back to health may have saved his life because being in basically, you know, in this camp with other, you know, um, influenza victims, uh, the death toll was much greater. Mm-hmm. And so having Walt away from that, you know, may have saved his life. Good. So, Good. Yeah. Okay, November 5th, the first Disney film to use the multiplane camera is released to theaters on November 5th, 1937. What is the name of the film? Uh, the Old Mill. That's correct. Directed by Wilfred Jackson, who we talked about earlier, is released by RKO Radio Pictures. This is the first Disney film to use a multiplane camera, a device invented by Ub Iwerks and refined with the Disney staff that adds realism to the animation. Of course, the special camera gives depth by using layers of backgrounds painted on glass. And this short is about an abandoned mill, which is now home for wildlife. And and as it goes through an overnight storm, the short and the camera will both win Academy Awards. And you can uh, generally see it if you go back and watch like the the compilations, the Disney Halloween treat and Mm -hmm. the Disney Halloween that we talked about earlier on this episode. That was the old mill was featured as a part of those. So now I always like connect that with Halloween, even though it really isn't. But now, well, there's some bats in it. That's like the only an owls. There's an owl. That's the only yeah. scary thing about mm-hmm. it, really, except the atmosphere, I suppose. But um, yeah, I miss those compilation films. They always added to Halloween, like you know, your it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Exactly. So it's one of those traditions. Yep. Okay, November sixth. Tired of the Kansas City winters, Walt Disney's parents, Elias and Flora, and his younger sister, Ruth, leave for a West Coast city on November 6, 1921. To where did they move? I know we've talked about this before. And I, I know it wasn't, it wasn't California. I'm just trying to think. I, I obviously know all the all the West Coast states. I'm not trying to sit here and think of a map in that. I uh, maybe was it Utah? No, it's Portland, Oregon. So Walt's brother Herbert, a post office employee, has already transferred there. And Walt, upset over the idea of losing his family, sees them off at the train station. That's right. Isn't Portland, though, like a, a cooler population, a cooler place out there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's farther north. Yeah. I've never been yet. Yeah. I want to go mm-hmm. one day. Let, let things settle down there before you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let them rebuild. <laughs> so, okay, November 7th. Roy Williams, gag writer, cartoonist, and actor, passed away in Burbank, California on November 7th, 1976. Starting his career in 1925, the, 
at the Walt Disney Studios as an artist and then a story man. Walt paid for Roy's training at the Chouinard Art School. He eventually became known as the Big Musketeer on the 1950s television series The Mickey Mouse Club. What popular theme park souvenir did Roy Williams create? He uh, he created Mickey ears. That's right. He created the famous Mickey Mouse ears hat. Originally, it was for the cast of the show, but today available to all in any open Disney theme park. Uh, Roy Williams was named a Disney legend in 1992. So good. You did pretty well This for this Halloween week. <laughs> Only a couple bad so, ones. Yeah. And now let's see what's going on with us. Okay, Craig. So now what Halloween candy are you giving out? What's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, We are not giving out candy this year. We were on the fence about it, of leaving some some candy out on the porch. But usually... Well, the first trick-or-treater to your door will be very happy. Well, and that's <laughs> that's why we're not giving out candy because we've had a, a couple occasions where we've ended our night early for trick or treating, and we'll we'll put out the the bowl of candy and say, you know, we're done for the night. We're going to leave, and then you know, inevitably, you come back thirty seconds later, like, oh, I forgot the keys and need to to pick that up, and you'll walk back, and the bowl will already be empty. From one person dumping in, so I am not saying that I live in a uh, a bad neighborhood where that happens, but uh, I I do. So uh, for that reason, I don't I don't want it to be a thing where all of the candy gifts goes to one person and then an empty bowl is sitting out for the rest of the night and disappoints people. So I'd rather just disappoint everyone equally. And uh, so why don't you disappoint them and you know. Give out, you know, whorehound candies and chiclets. Honestly, you know, I, and Boston baked beans. <laughs> that's, you know, it, those, those real popular candies. If I could think of <laughs> something that I knew would be like just like the worst, like those I, are I would, them. Those are the bottom candies. <laughs> do they still make like the five packs of Big Red? I, I don't feel like I've seen them in years. Do they still make Big Greg gum? I don't know. They might. <laughs> because I feel like that might be able to trick. Gum is low people. on the list, too. But no, yeah. chiclets, that's really low. If I can, I if I can find mini boxes to stick out, I will do that. But uh, it was, so we won't. We uh, I'll see. We might change our mind on it. I'm not trying to be a grump in that. It's just I really, I really do hate when one person comes along and ruins it for everyone else. And I, I don't. I, I've seen the look on kids' faces as we've run out of candy uh, on popular years, and I hate. I hate being that person who says, I'm sorry, I don't have anything else. So in this situation, I'd rather say, we, have, we from the start, we don't have anything. So we're treating everyone equally on that. But uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I'll be sitting inside eating Kit Kats all night and uh, loving every second of it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give out Halloween candy this year. You know, I don't know how many children we'll get because on a Saturday night, we can get a couple hundred easily. And... um so I'll see. I don't know. I mean, I know our court always has a potluck. I won't be participating in it this year because um, just for physically distancing. And I know they're doing games for children 
also on the court this year. Yeah. So, but I, but I am going to give out candy. Yeah. I honestly, it's not even the kids that I'm that concerned about. I, I, I do love my neighborhood and, you know, I know a lot of kids are going to school and, and taking all the precautions they need, but I, uh, as we walk around our neighborhood and as I, I run through our neighborhood, I constantly hear all the backyard parties and see cars piled up outside of houses. So I don't trust the parents of the kids that are well, in see, our parents, our parents. Yeah. They just stay at the end of the court with their glasses of wine at the end of the walk, front walk. Yeah. With and glasses of wine, we, which I, I had never seen that until we came to full, to this town. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, we we get a lot like that, but also then we have a lot that bring around the toddlers, and you know they're too afraid to walk up, so then the parents get yeah. too close, and I, I I really do hate it because that's been one of our favorite traditions of being homeowners is having having Halloween every single year and and getting to sit outside like we we used to always make it a tradition to to do something on Halloween night whether it was you know me going to to Halloween horror nights and and doing some houses for the last time to to get that extra little scariness in or or just doing anything that we can find around Orlando and then as soon as we became homeowners then it was you know we have to we have to pass out candy and whether we we see 50 people or 200 people it's it it's worth it and so i'm i'm going to miss it this year but it's it, with florida being in the state that it is it's just it, it's better safe than sorry for us yeah for us in our county our town has the lowest um, covid rates out of every, all the towns so but i'm still going to wear a mask and all that and um be as safe as i can so but um i'm attending uh oh this past week i attended a couple of virtual events uh i don't know if you saw this d23 virtual launch party for the holiday magic at the disney parks um that book it was a gold members exclusive did you go to that i signed up for it and then i just didn't have time to watch it oh yeah then they extended it over the weekend I missed and, that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was um it was fine. It was interesting. And um you know, it, it, and yeah, it, it sounds like it has a lot of great photos in it. And I don't know if I learned too much about it. I, I it was interesting to learn about what they do with the ships. They talked a little about that, the Disney Cruise Line ships and things. So, um, yeah, I, but, you know, yeah. I, I love a good Disney book and I can't wait <laughs> to add this one to my collection. But I, I will say uh, my one bright spot of this week was that my copy of 3D Disneyland finally Mine arrived. Mine came too. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, there are a lot of great books made through Disney and and I appreciate all of them and I love collecting a good Disney book but there's also something about a lot of the books that we do talk about from 3D Disneyland to to Jim's books that are are published not through you know through Disney directly with with mm-hmm. their press agencies that I feel like sometimes you just you get way more out of it because it's not 
necessarily official, officially published by Disney. And so I, I'm excited for the holiday book. But then when you get that, that nice book like 3D Disneyland that is just packed to the brim with interesting content and photos, then it's, oh, it's yeah. hard to compare the two. <laughs> yeah. And they had a little coaster in there for your adult beverage. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of for me anymore. It's like with my tiki obsession, it's like, I can collect tiki mugs from places that have limited runs where it's only a hundred or 200 tiki mugs and they're handmade in America and it's completely, you know, it's completely collectible or I can get the Trader Sam stuff, which is completely just outsourced coming from China and way mass produced to thousands and thousands and thousands. Sometimes, Sometimes those nice little uh, collector's items are just, uh, they're worth a little bit extra for it. But I'm looking at my Sorcerer Mickey tiki mug right now. <laughs> that being said, I'm not giving up on Trader Sam's or any other mass produced yeah. mug. It's just that I, I, appre- I appreciate the other ones a little bit more. <laughs> I also did a Tahitian Terrace inspired dinner. Uh, it was a live stream with um, Marcy. Kariker, Kariker, how she says her name, Smothers, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Eat Like Walt. Yep. Yeah. So she did a couple of, um, it was a benefit for the Bowers Museum and down in Santa Ana. And so did, I, I pre-did most of the recipes, but it was the um, Polynesian um, pork ribs mm. recipe. And then uh, it was also then the dressing for um, the salad and then the Tahitian Terrace Punch. I haven't made the punch yet because I don't have room in my refrigerator for it. But um, it was good. I thought, I wish she'd done this sort of in the beginning of the summer. Because this is more of a summer for me. It has a summer feel. Yeah. This, But it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's it's a lot of sugar. <laughs> oh, I, I can <laughs> imagine. So, yeah, I, I need to get a good punch bowl or punch container. That's like one thing that I'm, I'm a hundred percent lacking. Like I, I grew, uh, I, like many other kids of the late eighties and nineties, I grew up chugging Kool Aid on a daily basis, and I think it was about a year ago I realized, like, if I bought the classic pack of Kool Aid, if they even still make those. I don't even have a container to make it in where mm. my mom would get out the the big the big drink container with your your lid that goodness knows who even made it and stir it around with the big wooden spoon and then shake it like crazy and and you drink your sugar and so I I miss out on all these punch drinks because I just don't have the right vessels for it. Oh well this would be the right drink for that except that you need um you need concentrated grape juice i'm shocked at how small the concentrated juice section is now in grocery stores it's Uh, like nothing and there's no grape juice but they have pog and so i thought okay that sounds tahitian terracy so i i got a can of that i'll I'll make it at some point gonna have to check my grocery stores to see if we get concentrated pog because we don't have any pog on this coast so yeah we did but not anymore if i can have concentrate pog i would be over the moon with that but yeah um at the same time i um yeah that concentrate is just it's going down i didn't even realize that donald duck concentrate doesn't exist anymore 
Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. At least not in Florida, which I thought that's where all the oranges were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also watched a Jim Henson film, since a Halloween-themed film, I guess, that I'd never seen or heard of before, The Witches. Uh, the 1990 version? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, because, and I, I, because I, and I was, um, you know, they they have the new one out. Is it on HBO Max? But then I came across this one, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's it is fun. So I haven't gotten around to watching the HBO Max one, but neither have I. Yeah, the no the the original uh, witches is, is is good, and I. You know, I grew up reading all the Roald Dahl books, so it's that one is not as uh, spot on with the book. But I, from my understanding, I guess the new version is a lot closer mm-hmm. to the themes of the book. But Angelica Houston in it is just oh, oh she's great over the moon. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently they filmed two endings for this for the 1990 version. They filmed one that was closer to the actual ending in the book. And then they filmed the ending that they kept and they, they tested it before. uh, But, you know, they ran it for audiences with both endings and said, tell us which one you preferred. And they went with the one that audiences preferred and Roald Dahl was outraged that they didn't use the ending from the book. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he he had a lot of, from what I understand, he had a lot of outrages for the ways his uh, his ad- adaptations happened. But he did, even though he was involved with just about all of them, <laughs> he he was unhappy with all of them. So yeah, but, to be an um, author. <laughs> yeah, speaking of films, too, Glenn Keane's new animated film Over the Moon is on Netflix. I haven't watched that yet either. Yeah. I I need to watch it. So I had a friend who. Who I don't believe she was on the production side of that, but she uh, she definitely oversaw parts of the production with it and uh, definitely talked it up for a long time. So I'm very very excited to finally sit down and watch it. It was a nice nice surprise when I saw it finally popped up on on Netflix and you know just an, another uh, another good piece of content to hit streaming services while we're still, you know, not necessarily back to normal. And, and it seems like it'll be the perfect transition out of Halloween into before we start getting too crazy with Christmas movies. Oh yeah. If that's even possible. I'm going to pretend I mean, because (laughs) let's be real. uh, Even, even Halloween is getting thrown away because the day this is out is day one of the Mandalorian. And so, oh. I'll probably just be rewatching that first episode eighteen times over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know how I told you about Brenda Chapman's um, new film, "Come mm-hmm. Away." Mm-hmm. While back in it, I it played at Sundance. It's about what if Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan were actually siblings um, before their adventures started. It it's got picked up. It's being released to theaters, but very limited on November 13th, 2020, and at the same time, video on demand. Oh. Yeah, so I'll look forward to Good for to that. that. Yeah. No, yeah. It, uh, finally made it. So mm-hmm. I will uh, I will keep an eye out for that. 
Yeah, me too. I assume it's being released to theaters just so that it can qualify for Academy Awards or something. Yeah, I'm, so. I have a feeling that most of the movies getting released this year are just... They're trying to sneak in for that uh, idea of, well, there's not been a lot released this year. There hasn't been a lot of good stuff released this year, so everything's open right now. Yeah. And, and you know, in preparation for this episode, and we didn't, we didn't get to talk about it, but I started to watch the Halloween Town series on Disney+. Plus. Have you seen that? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, okay. I'm so I, g- I get it. You didn't. You're not a fan. No. I'm so. <laughs> oh, because I thought that was within your growing up period, wasn't it? It was slightly. I was. I I would have. I would have been oh, definitely in the right range for the first Halloween Town movie, but mm-hmm. by the time the sequels started, I was. I was beyond watching disney channel anymore uh but i and i can kind of back that up because kylie is three years younger than me and she is obsessed with the halloween town movies so i feel like i was just slightly above the the targeted age for it at the time and she's had them playing in the background at our house for a while and you know debbie reynolds is is just a delight to watch in it but i she is she is i do not and like i guess she chose that. the name aggie because of her friend agnes moorhead who's we know was in dora mm-hmm. the grandmother on bewitched so yeah. and, um and so the whole reason her... yeah the whole reason she did those movies was just she wanted to make good content that her uh that her grandkids could watch and i believe that would mean billy lord i don't know if she has any other mm-hmm. but uh it's yeah, it's it was. I'm glad she did them, and I'm glad they exist. But I just don't like watching them. Oh well, I've watched the first one, and I thought, okay, now I'm committed. So I can understand why, for their target audience, they were popular, because they overall it's it has a very positive theme. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a positive message in them. The first and second are very similar, I think. If I can remember, the third one still features That's a cast. The high school, yeah, yeah, but they're a little bit older. And then I think the fourth one is like where the original girl is just completely gone, and Fonzie's jumping sharks in it, and uh, oh. <laughs> and you know, it's they're they're all in Milwaukee and working at working at a beer factory. It just it goes over the edge. Oh, okay. Well, I'll look forward to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I might be blending it in with some sitcoms, actually, if I'm thinking correctly. Okay. Oh, just to let folks know, if you want to hear me um, twice in the coming week, um, I'm going to be a guest on the Hyperion Hub podcast, and that is um, scheduled for November 4th, 2020. So you can listen to Hyperion Hub podcast, podcast same places that you're listening to Connecting with Walt. So, and we talk about the show and Disney and what goes into researching the show and things like that. So, and Craig was supposed to be there, but he had a technical issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no electricity. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's nice. a shame that I, I wasn't able to get on that one. But hopefully, hopefully I can join you on a guest appearance on that soon or even, even just me solo. So I get mm-hmm. a chance to... To throw in a, my, my 
10 cents, 5 cents. Yeah. A couple pennies here and there. 2 cents. That's it. Absolutely. I was trying to oversell it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just a reminder again about Give Kids the World Night of a Million Lights. Um, from November 13th, 2020 to January 3rd, 2021 to benefit Give Kids the World. And uh, I've seen some video now. So I guess they had a, a press preview and it really looks spectacular. It does. Yeah. I'm very, so, very excited for this. Yeah, me too. Me too. And then the Diz Family Reunion in 2021. Also, it's put on by Give Kids the World and is a benefit for Give Kids the World. March 25th through the 27th at the 2021 at the Contemporary Resort. We'll have a link for tickets in our show notes and also where you can find out more about it. It's sort of like a, a Destination D event mm-hmm. and all that. And then... um I think I think that's about it for tonight. <laughs> it's a long show. Yeah. So, but it's been fun. We hope that you all have a fun Halloween, trick or treating, or whatever you do to celebrate. And thank you for um, for making us a part of your Halloween celebration. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, you can find me on all the different shows on the Diz Unplugged podcast network. And then, of course, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm michaelbowling-connectingwithwalt. Instagram, I'm michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. Roy.